Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, hi, and welcome to this episode of The Emma Gunn Show featuring the authors and hosts of the book and podcast Big Fat Negative, Emma Hazlitt and Gabriella Griffith, where I quiz them about the do's and don'ts of talking about fertility and infertility. There's a whole lot in this episode. If you want to listen to this show ad-free, then head to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now and become a patron. A very, very warm welcome to the podcast to Emma Hazlitt and Gabriella Griffith. How are you? Very well. Thank (laughs) you very much. I'm delighted to talk to you. You are excellent human beings. We met recently and it was incredibly easy to chat to you um, when Mm. we got the chance to work together. You're journalists, you are authors, uh, you're also podcasters and your specialist subject, I suppose... Mm. This is mastermind. Yes. Yeah. Is this is, mastermind? Um, <laughs> not with me as a host. Um, <laughs> is, well, if we say fertility, infertility, the umbrella terms of mm. all of these things, is that fair? Yeah, that's fair, I think. Childlessness is, is, I guess, is what we talk about. Yeah. We're on the side of the end of the fertility when it's yeah. not when it's not going well that's yeah. that's where we pick yeah. things up we grab the baton <laughs> it'll be okay guys okay so yeah. <laughs> so this is the subject and i will say this obviously you have been through your own personal journeys which you have mm-hmm. shared freely and openly on the podcast and also in the book big fat negative but you have also really expanded the conversation which i think is really appropriate because fertility, infertility, uh, wanting to have children, not wanting to have children, it's so nuanced. And whilst everyone is going through their personal journeys, there's so much to consider. There are so many conversations that are adjacent to the fundamental one of whether one wants or doesn't want to have children. And you seem to have uh, really expertly covered all of those topics and are constantly aware of what's coming. Thanks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. Um, you know, we've done episodes on everything from like, you know, the kind of the emotional side, the mental side, but also, you know, things like um pets, like the importance of pets when you're going through this. We we interviewed Kate Spicer, who wrote um Lost Dog. So we've done, yeah, we've definitely done a lot of topics, right? Yeah, I think it's um I don't this is gonna sound really cheesy. But what we found when we first started talking about infertility was that everyone that was coming back to us was saying, I was feeling so alone and now I'm not. Thank you so much. I was feeling so alone. I thought I was the only one. And I think that does expand. That is kind of the umbrella situation for for Mm. lots of the people that we're talking to is that they felt alone. And so we're trying to kind Mm. of prove to them that they're not. Um, Yeah. It is, isn't it? It's one of those conversations that you have to sort of almost like coax out of the darkness and bring into the light. And that's what I think you guys have done really well. 
And I yeah. said to you before we started that uh, I had someone in the Facebook group for the podcast say, one of the things I really liked about the show is that I never talk about fertility and getting, oh. wanting to have kids or not wanting to have kids because there are plenty of other people doing that on the internet. And I was like, well, oh. in a couple of days. <laughs> well, I hope they're skipping this episode for their no. sake. No, I hope they're changing their views on this episode. <laughs> That's what I hope because, okay, let's just be really honest about this. You two, and we'll talk about how you met in a minute, but you are two women who desperately wanted to have children and had your issues along that way. I am a 44 year old woman who doesn't want to have children, has never had the urge to have children. So come, come at things from a completely different perspective. And so I suppose the reason why I have never covered it is because it's just not a topic that I have a huge amount of interest in. With that said, it is something that a lot of women struggle with, deal with. Hmm. And I want to be informed about it actually, because I want to be helpful and I want to be a safe ear or a safe shoulder for someone if they're going through it and need a place to talk. That's well, the thing, isn't it? I think people, friends, even if it's not your place, there will be friends and family that are going through it. And it's it's good to just know the sensitivities, I suppose, because there's plenty of them. Yeah, I mean, there's the thing about fertility is it's it's the oldest subject, right? Like it's the oldest subject in the world, and there are, because of that, there are so many old wives' tales. But there are so many ways that we placate people as well with it. Um, so I, I remember, you know, really well, a friend of mine saying we we were talking about miscarriage, and this is when we were in our twenties, like we hadn't even considered babies. One of her friends had had a miscarriage or something, and she said, um, "Oh, well, you know, it was just a cluster of cells; it just wasn't meant to be." And back then, I remember being like, oh, that's what you say when someone's had a miscarriage. You just say it wasn't meant to be. That's mm. fine. And then they stop talking about it. You move on. Mm. And like, obviously, then, you know, I I entered the space. We started, I started talking about this and realized that that's literally the worst thing you can possibly say to someone. Like, but it it, it just is. It's almost been passed on from generation to generation of like, that's this true. is how you talk to people going through infertility. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it's. I mean, absolute bullshit. Just, just relax. This is our other favourite one, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, that's, um, that's so everyone, oh, I think you just made me stop thinking about it and it will happen. Just just relax about it. It'll be, fu- oh my God. And that's the most unrelaxing thing to hear from anyone. <laughs> Do you know what though? So my sort of, if I had a, a, a mastermind subject, it would be like weight, eating, diet and what have you because of my own issues with that, which is in itself mm-hmm. has been a journey and a struggle. And when people used to say to me when I when I would say I was really struggling to lose weight, they would say, stop thinking about it. Oh, like, oh my God. Ugh. Do you know what? I, I really think it's something. <clears throat> and I was having a massive rant with one of my colleagues on Twitter about this just yesterday. What a great place talking, to have a rant. Oh, <laughs> it's almost like it's designed for that. Um, <laughs> but she was she was saying that, you know, as a, as a single person, she gets a lot of We'll just wait and it'll happen, you know. You'll you'll find love when you when you're least looking for it. And my point was, you know, I think it's a real thing directed at women that if you you have to be this kind of passive, feminine creature who just lets things happen to them, you're not mm-hmm. allowed to try and take control. And any mm-hmm. idea that you are trying to take control, people go, I think you're stressing yourself out. I think you need oh. to relax. Like 
you know, it, it, it'll just happen. Mm. Um, it's, you know, it's exactly that. It's just sitting around waiting for things to happen to us, like a kind of medieval mm. damsel. Like we may as well be just trapped in a tower waiting for somebody to come and rescue us. Like, it's exactly that vibe. We may as well be trapped yeah. in a tower waiting for somebody to imbue us with a baby. Like, it's exactly the same thing. So I think, you know, when you're talking about people, I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before, you know, how you've got single friends who are doing this. And I imagine they get just as much shit about you know it'll happen um with the baby as as it'll happen with a partner and it's just mm. so unfair that women are always being ranted at about this stuff mm-hmm. and that is my twitter rant over <laughs> oh it's beautiful thank you thank it's you. a great rant but thank equally you. if you go to the other end of the spectrum and you try to have agency then you, mm. all of the all of the words come out don't they aggressive yeah. all of those things that yeah. are, aren't very feminine or ladylike well, you just need to relax. That's it. Just relax. <laughs> so let's talk about this in terms of uh, fertility, actually, because it's a really good point to say there's the waiting around. It'll just happen. Just relax. Mm. That's obviously at one end of that uh, unhelpful spectrum. Mm-hmm. But then at the other end, I suppose you've got the person, and I would say a lot of my friends have fallen into this space, who cannot stop consuming information they go into a forum someone tells them about a study or someone tells them about a kind of fertility treatment and then before you know it they are uh, an encyclopedia not uh, not a fact-checked encyclopedia but an encyclopedia nonetheless because they are just they've gone in the other direction and they are gathering as much information as mm. they can but I'm guessing that can be unhelpful also well we we like to talk about the Dr. Google and the 3 a.m. searches that you do when you're just looking for answers. You just want answers and you want to be able to feel like you're doing something to help. Um, and it it is it can be really overwhelming. And like, you know, we talked about it in the book a bit. It's kind of the list of things you should be doing if you're trying for a baby. It's like start exercising, stop exercising, eat nuts, eat pomegranates, um, eat the core of a pineapple. Don't use nail varnish. It's like ah uh, where do you go what do you do it's it's yeah it's incredibly overwhelming it's I think when you're going through infertility one of the like, most overarching sensations is just a total loss of control mm. like we're so used to being in control in our lives you know we can order food and get it right there right then we can you know we control our fertility by taking the pill or using contraceptives and then suddenly you don't have any control over what's happening to you. And so the natural tendency for like 90% of us is to just look for ways to be more in control. And Mm. if that means like, you know, following weird advice to eat pineapple, then like that's often the way we end up going down. And, you know, I guess it's not so much forewarned as forearmed, but informed is Mm. feels like you are armed and that you're kind of ready and you're more in control. Of course, like it's, as Gab says, like it's so overwhelming. Like it's mental. I remember um, I was, acupuncture is another one that everyone says, oh. we don't acupuncture. And our acupuncturist, because we shared the same one, um, was saying, don't eat cold things. You need your belly and your womb area to be warm. And so I was doing IVF and I was like, I found this smoothie in MS that had like all of the good stuff in it, like folic acid and pomegranates and all the things I'd been told. Ding, ding, ding. This is really good. But I didn't want to drink it because it was cold. Oh, so no. I was walking around taking a sip and holding it in my mouth until it warmed up and then swallowing it and I was like 
I'm insane. It's my mind. I'm just walking around with this purple juice in my mouth, waiting for it to warm up. Like, it, yeah, you can go to some very strange places in all of this. Um, and it, yeah. I think, I mean, what's our advice on it? I think we we kind of, we listed some of the things because we, we recognise that feeling like you're taking control is a good thing in this time. Mm-hmm. But we say, like, do the things that you feel like you can do and don't feel like you need to do them all because some people hate acupuncture. Some people hate pineapple. I mean, if you want to do a few of them that that suit you in your life, then do those and feel like you're making a difference. We don't know if you are or not. That's the, you know, but don't try and do them all because your head will explode. Mm. Yeah. And and also just make sure you're looking after yourself because, you know, I was on this diet before, um, before I conceived my daughter that like it was everything was organic I couldn't eat anything out of a tin because they've got chemicals in them couldn't eat anything that had been wrapped in plastic because they've got chemicals in them there's chemicals in receipts so I would refuse to touch receipts which like really offended a lot of shop owners um like all this stuff and basically it just like every time you know you you have a failed IVF or you have like you know you have a negative pregnancy test you're like right what what can I do now what can I do now that will do it it's because I touched a receipt um so I think you have to give kind of give yourself a mission to to realize that like not touching a or touching a receipt isn't going to prevent you from conceiving probably Mm. like in all likelihood so you have to kind of reason with yourself a bit I guess it's almost like being governed by superstitions I mean, yeah. And and it's back to those kind of old wives' tales yeah. that that we tell ourselves, like all these mad things, put your legs up against the wall when you're trying to conceive. Like it's mm. not gonna help, guys. It's not gonna help. <laughs> but like someone's it, grandma said it once. So we yeah. did um our podcast has a segment or used to have a myth busting segment at the end. Um and uh, you know, I would say 90% of the myths were false, right? Mm. um but then some of them are true which really catches you out so like we did one about um somebody told me that I should stop my husband from having hot baths which is one of his true great pleasures in life and so I said to him you you can you need to stop bathing you need to stop and he was like what are you on about but actually that turned out to be true that like his sperm was our problem and he was taking really hot baths and dunking those boys in boiling water is not a great thing to do so we had to stop having baths and I was like I'm so sorry babes this 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 myth is true (laughs) oh no okay right let's take a step back a little bit so how did you two meet and did you was it just kismet that you started your you were both wanting to fall pregnant at the same time and you were like hey I'm not having a great time but how did you two come together so we met at work um, years and years ago we were working for a magazine called Management Today which is way less boring than it sounds like it's actually really fun um, a really fun job and um, and then Gabby went off somewhere else she abandoned me um, and so but we stayed friends we stayed like good friends and we hung out a bit and we used to go on holiday with them so it was three couples that we used to go on holiday the you know with so there were three three couples yeah, that's it. Six people. Um, six people. <laughs> yeah. And um and it's one day I like I think I was saying like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'd been trying to conceive for like three years. And I was like, I'm gonna do a freaking podcast about this because I'm bored of waiting. I'm gonna make some content. Um and Gabby said, um, oh, maybe I could be on it. Like we've just started trying for a baby, maybe I could be on it. And, and then it kind of transpired, you know, after a while that it was taking Gabby a while as well 
and um I was like let's do the podcast together yeah. is that how it happened yeah. yeah 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 kind of yeah so you yeah Emma was already doing IVF when mm. I put my hand up and said oh, I've been trying for a year and it's not happening um so yeah then we we just jumped in and decided to do the podcast which was probably the best decision we've ever made <laughs> well we'll come on well why okay no we won't come on to it later let's come on to it now why do you reckon that was the best decision you made it's like um I mean you you must know this it's you podcasting is like doing counseling but it's free <laughs> um I mean we just every week <laughs> It's great. It's free therapy <laughs> every week. Well, partly it was a great decision because, yeah, it was, you know, we had a whole segment that was just us talking about ourselves, which is <laughs> very easy content. It's really lovely. Know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and it was just us, you know, having a chat. And um, I think we're both by our natures <laughs> share far too much information. So it was a very like it was us having having a conversation every week which is exactly what you do in therapy right mm-hmm. um but also that you know that element of control like this need to instead of consulting dr google it we had a really good excuse to phone up an actual fertility doctor and be like hey can you tell us about this mm. and then and then you know so that gave us like a, an opportunity to learn a lot about what was going on and meant that we we kind of had a fertility doctor on the end of a phone line (laughs) really when we needed him a lot yeah so that was you know that was brilliant for us it did yeah it did wonders for I think both of our mental health because we all of a sudden like you feel like you're out of control and this situation is ruling you and you're just desperately trying for this thing and we all of a sudden we pulled it back and we were like no I'm turning this into something now this is my story and I'm gonna Mm. and it just really it gave us that empowered kind of feeling about it Mm. and obviously then when 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 things go wrong or you have a shit day um you've got like well that's gonna be great on the podcast it's like (laughs) it's never that bad a day because you're like this is a great story for later content now I've already said I'm coming at this from a very uh from the novices perspective and so uh Emma you said you were three you'd been trying for three years Mm. uh when you had that first conversation I think with Gabby about the podcast at what point did you start to look for outside help and is there is there a bit of a benchmark for anyone listening to this who might be thinking, actually, I've been trying for 18 months, maybe I should, or do I give it another six months? Is there a time scale when yeah. you go from trying naturally to then thinking we might need to just have some investigation or some intervention? So the official um, the official thing is a year. If you've been, if you're under 36 and you've been trying for a year, you, that's when you go to your GP. Um, I am a control freak. And therefore <laughs> went much sooner than that. And that's partly because we knew that my husband had a um, chromosomal disorder that meant, well, what it meant was that um, my chances of losing a pregnancy were much higher and then my chances of conceiving a child with Down syndrome was much were much higher. So even before we started trying to conceive, I sent him off to a um, genetic counsellor to talk to them. And they actually... <laughs> They said, right, you you qualify for IVF straight away. So I had in in my head, I had the fact that we, you know, we could do IVF whenever we wanted. But um we went to see a woman at a clinic shortly afterwards, and she said, IVF's really shit. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Keep trying for a baby naturally. Um I, and she was right, it is shit. Um, so we kept trying for a baby naturally, and after about nine months. I was like, I cannot deal with this. I, you know, just like negative pregnancy test after negative pregnancy test, Googling things. Like there was a, there was a low point that I got to where 
I dug the pregnancy test I'd done out of the bin because my period was really late and I was like it must it must be this time um so I I got took the negative pregnancy test put it in the bin and then about an hour later I was like well maybe I just didn't give it long enough so I went into the bin and took the pregnancy test out of the bin and um it was still negative and then I was like about an hour after that I was like maybe there's a second line hiding so I pulled the pregnancy test apart and like looked under the casing and there wasn't a second line spoiler um <laughs> but it does at that point I was like oh I'm, I'm turning into a crazy person like maybe now is the time to go and talk to someone so I went to my GP and she was so nice and she was like I kind of cr- immediately started crying she was like let's get someone to look at you like it hasn't been a year but we'll start the tests now and um, I think what one thing because the the general advice is do it after a year one thing that a lot of people don't know is that if there's any kind of if there's if you have any history of like you know your periods are a bit funny like your cycles are a bit funny or you have a lot of period pain or anything like that you can actually get tests a bit sooner than that and they can start your tests sooner than that so it's worth going to the doctor and asking interesting on both sides as well because my Mm. husband had had mumps in his early 20s where his testicle had swollen to the size of a lemon which is one of his favorite stories um and so that was always in the back of our mind when we started trying but we were kind of like I'm sure it'll be fine but then like I think 10 months later we were like "Mm, maybe this isn't fine so that was that was kind of alarm bells ringing and that again you were able to go to the GP and say look this is our history can you look into it um and so it was a little bit earlier than a year for us as well can you talk to me about what it's like to start trying for a baby, which uh, you just think, oh, I'll start trying for a baby. And then what happens emotionally when you realise perhaps that this isn't going to happen like you thought it was? Um, I think it just, it does weird things to you because, you know, you spent your entire life trying not to get pregnant, right? You have, uh, you know, had all kinds of like horror stories at school sex education lessons where they're like if you look at a boy funny you will get pregnant use a condom and and so you do I mean it's such a cliche to say I feel like everyone says it but you do assume well I'll get pregnant and so the first you know if you're anything like me you do a lot of googling you do a lot of like looking into it what should I be expecting and so you kind of begin to um understand the because you know none of us actually really know how bodies work um so but you the first thing I did was learn about our cycle and when I should be expecting and when I should be kind of having sex and stuff um and it uh, for me it was really quick to go from oh we'll just try and see what happens um to I'm going to lose it if I see another single line on a pregnancy test um it just you become exhausted by it. like it just takes up often it takes up every waking thoughts like Gabs has a really good story about just being at work and crying it's a great story <laughs> um I think yeah I uh, you you just it's very hard to leave your emotions at the door when you go to work right sometimes mm. I'm you know I go in and I, I was just one day I was in a meeting and I just this just big tears just started rolling down my face I was as I was trying to like make notes for them and I was like I hope nobody's noticing this because I can't stop them um but it's it is it's really tough and I we t- we often say that um that period where we were trying naturally before we d- went into IVF is actually almost harder because 
you kind of go in at it. It's such an exciting time. And you're like, mm. oh, wow, this is so beautiful for us. And you go off and you go to these nice hotels and you're like, oh, I bet that was the one. That's going to be the you know, real doozy. And um, and slowly but surely that's, start, that, that's not happening. And it just, it really takes it out of you. And it's it's a roller coaster every month, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's kind of, it's really hard. And then when, you know, if you do go down the medicated route, um, suddenly science has taken over and it's almost a relief. You're kind of like, oh, brilliant. Well, well now obviously we'll get pregnant, which is another story because spoiler, that doesn't always happen too. But, yeah. um, but that first bit is just, it's a real roller coaster. Well, you say that about um, it doesn't always happen, but one of the things that I heard coming out of my mouth recently, and I re- I had to as soon as I said that, I said I'm really sorry I said that, was is that the majority? No, not the majority. Every single person I know who's been through IVF, who has told me that they have been through IVF or some form of fertility treatment, has eventually conceived mm. or has eventually had the baby that they always wanted, and that and so normally when that fell out of my mouth is when someone was saying, oh, we're going to do another round. And we're talking about double digits now that they are in, in terms of rounds. And at some point you just sort of think, when do you, when do you say to somebody, uh, you got to stop now? Or like, can you ever say that? I don't think you can. I think it's, it's, you know, it's up to them. You just have to be supportive and even, and it's so hard. I was talking to a friend just this morning about um, her mate has had like a, quite a few pregnancy losses and um it's like doing increasingly mad things to try and get pregnant including like paying a grand to somebody who insists that through diet they can heal everything and um yeah I know and um and she was like I don't know what to say to her and I was like you you cannot say anything because it is their money like they have to reach their own conclusions and hopefully that person is going through counseling or therapy and will will be able to come to that conclusion themselves but it's very hard when you've got the daily mail like publishing stories saying oh we did 25 rounds of IVF and we finally got our miracle baby and in the process they spent like hundreds of thousands of pounds um but yeah that that never give up kind of narrative is very uh, it's kind of very beguiling isn't it it's very like attractive especially again in our world where we are used to achieving results from working hard yeah it's really damaging for people who have reached their end point where they they've 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 they know where their line was they've reached it and they've stopped and then to have those continuing narratives of well I never gave up hope I kept going you kind of it's quite it can be quite Mm. Kind of poisonous for other people and it, you know oh, oh my cat's just jumped on my lap <laughs> that's fine <laughs> yeah it uh it's a funny one but I think we've spoken to a lot of people who tend to know what mm. their stop point is um and obviously for some people that's a lot longer and they do reach double digits but a lot of people have a kind of time in mind yeah um when they're going to stop and we've also heard of doctors suggesting that people stop because I think fertility doctors even though they're making money out of people they also see mental health they see people's mental health and they they have to turn around and say I don't think you should do anymore you know mm-hmm. yeah, yeah there's also um, a budgetary constraint mm, you it's know it's cheap it's not cheap it is not cheap at all and so you you uh started the podcast you how was it for you guys when 
one of you conceives and the other one is still what was that like during your friendship and during your journey of working together on this because um, emma it was you you can see first didn't it was you? me yeah she did Tracy. so gabby did you want to kill emma <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird time because um we'd been we've been doing the podcast for like eight or nine months and suddenly even though we'd done all of these interviews and telling people they're not alone I felt really alone when when she when it worked but obviously because I knew what she'd been through I was I was was so happy and I was really relieved that it didn't go the other way but also yeah there was that kind of feeling of like oh it's just me now (laughs) but luckily it only lasted for four months so yeah I kind of followed fairly quickly and that does seem to be the thing that is the one of the bigger struggles. If if the actual struggle to conceive is struggle number one, struggle number two is the world happening around you and people not having the problems that you're having. Yeah, um, I've got a really laboured train metaphor, which I will now give you, um, which is about like when when you're trying for a baby, it feels a bit like you're kind of stuck on a train that's like got signalling problems. And so all your mates, like you've got some friends that like, single and loving at station who are just having a really nice time and you've got some friends at like we've got loads of babies station we've got loads of babies junction um that that are just like they're more tired than you admittedly but they're you know they they seem happy and you're kind of stuck on a siding somewhere and you've got no phone signal so you can't phone anyone and tell them what's going on and you're just you just are completely alone and um that's it's it's very isolating like when all your mates are you know in a different place and I think you know one of the things that we wrote about in the book we've written a book um is that um like a lot of your friendships are formed because you experience things together right so like Gabby and I work together and we all kind of we both got married at like relatively within a couple of years of each other and you know you you go through big life events with your friends everybody goes through it and and when you're left out of that big life event suddenly you just feel really behind and really left out mm, um yeah and that's you know that's really hard is it like when everyone at school has a certain and I'm using this example because I'm just trying to sort of make it really accessible to everybody yeah. but when everyone else has like a certain type of shoes or yeah. a bag or a certain and you backpack just, yeah, yeah and you just feel and everyone you... in my school got an east pack one of those tiny mini east packs and I didn't because they were too expensive. <laughs> it's Not weird, it's a tribal it, thing, isn't it? You just feel completely left out and on the sideline. And you feel different because yeah. you're not the same. And yeah. it makes you feel like a complete oddity. Absolutely. And to Emma's point earlier, like you made plans. You that you've got your life plan. You you mm. know, that's what you that's what you're doing next. But then it's mm-hmm. not happening. So you're like, well, what do I do now? Where does the life go? What do I go to? What station do I go to next? I'm not going to that one. It's yeah. it is um it can feel isolating and of course Instagram and Facebook have a lot to answer for because you you know it's just full of first day oh having a baby oh having another one it's just it's kind of constant Mm. Uh, when you're a woman of a certain age that that is um and because I suppose people post the you know those good news stories they don't post this bad stuff and so you just think well everyone's getting pregnant really easily apart from me yeah. Well, don't you find it's the two, it's the opposite ends of both spectrums at the moment. It's either the really good stuff or it's the hysterical crying post with the, oh, Here, gosh, here's yeah. the awful thing that I'm going through at the moment. And yeah. where, where's the middle ground? Yeah. Hang on a minute while I just switch my camera on. 
and now I'm going to cry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I do think that scan pictures should be legal on Instagram. Like, just make them illegal. Although I do have a really beautiful um, ultrasound of a, a nine centimeter cyst on my left ovary that I that I might share. Publish it's that puppy. Yeah, people need to see the the fist cyst, as we like to call it. <laughs> um, yeah, but and and yeah, you're right. People do. I mean, you know, sharing the sharing the kind of sadness stuff is, you know, it's hard, isn't it? Because we're British. So, so there's a part of you that's like, oh. but then that's kind of what Gabby and I do. So, yeah, it, it, but it's helpful and it makes it's, as you said, the thing that I guess is the common thread through your content is not people not having to feel that they're on their own because they yeah. certainly aren't. But it's like, but they're even within that, there's <clears throat> got to be some boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I do get a bit like, oh, God with that stuff but you know sharing vulnerability is great it's really great it's just that I'm too English to really embrace it properly well I suppose one of the things we also have always tried to do is is laugh so like a lot of our you know our podcast is is kind of joking about the rubbish stuff that's happening to us and and using humor as much as possible because I think you know yes it is traumatic but there's some really hilarious situations that you find yourself in when you're going through infertility and IVF and we just make sure that we make people have a giggle about them because once you do that it's again takes the edge off doesn't it yeah well Well, I was gonna say Gabby's um Gabby's husband had a really good like getting sperm to the hospital on time (laughs) (laughs) if you'd like to hear it go ahead um yeah, so when you're when you're having your sperm tested by a clinic or your doctors, you tend to have to um, produce a s- sample at home and get it to the clinic uh, within an hour, not too hot, not too cold, just the right temperature. And yeah, on the hottest day of the year, my husband had to get his um, his golden syrup across town <laughs> and was sweating and like running and um, got to the hospital was so flustered that he handed his little pot of joy to the wrong person who then disappeared off with a random pot of sperm was like what the hell um and so we had to do it all over again anyway but we basically um we were having a giggle about this and we called it the whack-off races that's what we (laughs) (laughs) trademark that immediately yeah yeah if someone's listening to this, obviously my first thing would be, right, we'll listen to their podcast and read their book and mm. uh, surround yourself with the, it's not just the loving kindness of the content, it's the the informed content because you say you get fertility doctors on, you get people who have done the time in medical school, as much as you have the anecdotal stuff from guests and their own fertility you are able to sift through a lot of the medical noise and present people who are up to date so if someone's listening to this and whether they're coming at it from the perspective of they would like to conceive or whether they're a bit more like me and they're just like they just want to know the right thing to say and not to be unhelpful which is one of the biggest things I think most of us don't want to do is accidentally trigger someone going through this what would you say are the fundamental sort of truisms that are most helpful that you've learned from speaking to all of the people that you've spoken to? The the thing that we always say is that if you're going through it, find someone to talk to about it. Like, even if it's like, if you're writing a journal or something, you just need an an outlet. Um, That's, 
that's always like the most important thing that we say yeah I think um the other one is if your friend is going through it um I think the the natural inclination in these situations is to try and fix something for someone um but I think the best thing to say to someone is just that's really awful and I'm so sorry mm-hmm. and I can I'm here if you want to talk to me about it don't offer kind of all of those things that you've heard like just relax or go on a holiday or if you tried acupuncture because you guarantee that the person has thought about those things and actually they just want someone that they can talk to um I think that's the most important one and also one of the other things we always say about pregnancy announcements is is if if you one of your friends is going through this and you find yourself pregnant drop them a text or a whatsapp mm, before yeah. you reveal the news because don't do it to their face because they might be upset and they might need to rearrange their face before they see you um and just a heads up on text is always a good one yeah did, I know one of you I've forgotten now uh who from when we had our last conversation did you have a friend who said I'm going to be telling everyone about my news and if you need to not hear from me see me or speak to me for the next nine yeah. months then I understand yeah that was my best friend Sophie who's an angel um so we'd just gone to Paris together and had a really nice time and she already had a little girl and um she said we're gonna be trying for our second when I get back when we get back um, and she's the most hyper fertile person I've ever <laughs> met in my life. And so precisely four weeks after that conversation, my phone rang and I ignored it because I knew what she was going to say. And then it rang like 20 more times. And I was like, Phew. so I answered it and she said, this is the call. And I said, okay. And then I went, congratulations. like that. And she said, look, we have been best friends for 20 years if you need to spend the next nine months not seeing me or hearing from me, I'm okay with that. And at that point I was like, oh, it makes, actually makes me tear up a bit thinking about it. But um, but then she ended up, <laughs> she had not only conceived, but she conceived twins um, because she had I ovulated twice that month. <laughs> and so greedy. So That's greedy, just selfish. But, <laughs> like the absolute irony of the situation made me laugh so much that like, you know it just we you know I didn't have to cut off all communication but she was just so kind about it Mm. um and yeah she's she's just uh, one of life's great people and I think this is the thing is uh that's a really lovely example but then also they're just saying what you're going through is awful if you want to talk Mm-hmm. I will be here to listen and then yeah. not say just relax or have you tried acupuncture I mean those are I mean for someone like me who's on the outside of it that, those are really simple rules to follow yeah it's really easy guys yeah, <laughs> yeah just to tell people what to do yeah <laughs> I mean it's funny isn't it because I guess you know your friends best so some people will be like really want to talk about it and some people won't want to talk about it mm-hmm. um and even now I like I wonder whether to say how are you like how's it going and then make that face um (laughs) or or to just leave it alone but Mm. I think it's a kind of case by case basis situation there isn't it like Mm. if you've got a friend who you know really like likes talking about stuff then that's fine Mm. but if you've got a friend who clearly would rather not talk about it then don't like force the issue well precisely we've talked as well about the conversations that go on adjacent to this fundamental uh pillar that you guys have and you've covered a lot of them what about the people who don't want to get involved who don't want children 
Have you explored that a great deal, or are they, or are those, or are those your foes? Are those your enemies? How would you no, not? How would you God, not want no. to? God, God no. no! I wish I didn't want children. My life would be so much easier. <laughs> like, can you imagine? No, I, I do think that you know, in the grand sisterhood of life, people who are infertile and people who don't want kids really should be banding together because I think you get the same shit. Like, if you're infertile, you don't really want to tell everyone what you're going through, right? So you like if like Auntie Jane says, Why haven't you had kids yet? There's no point going into like 15 minute explanation of your fallopian tubes. Do you just go, ah, we just haven't started trying? <laughs> um but it's it, like you know, women not doing things that women are supposed to do is such a mm. taboo yeah. that I just think, and I honestly, I've never been a very maternal person. Like, I don't, I don't really like babies at all. And I think if I, I do wonder if somebody had told me before I started trying for a baby, you're not going to be able to do it, whether I would have actually been able to make my peace with that and move on and just live a glorious life without a kid. Obviously I love my daughter. She's amazing. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I think a huge element of what I went through was wanting what I couldn't have. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So I just... Go ahead, Gabby. I was just going to say, it's, it's, it's I, as you say, it's that kind of heading people off with the same comments, the same frustrating comments yeah. all the time. And it's the same for both parties. So I think it's having, um, so having those answers that will, you know, you can go too straight away without feeling that flush of like oh what do I say to this it's kind of just knowing what your answer is and just being confident about it because like it's just it's rubbish and no one wants to be put on the spot in any yeah. situation um and you know just know what I, to say yeah we get just relaxed you must get all kinds of well don't you want kids oh you make such a good mom that kind of shite <laughs> um well, no, I, I had them off with the past that with I would I would be a terrible mother because I don't think there's much you can say back to that. <laughs> yes, um, yes, you would. And so so that's so that's just been my my defense mechanism. But um yeah, I've yeah, it, it is it, it's a it's a funny one because I feel desperately sorry for the people who can't. And actually I had the opposite experience from I think some of the people that you've spoken to in that. I was diagnosed with PCOS at 17, but after it had been really present for a long time, like from the age of 11, 12, I had really severe symptoms, but it took quite a long time to get a diagnosis. And the first consultation with a gynecologist was you're going to really struggle to conceive. So when that comes time, when you want to think about that, there will be drugs and medications and obviously IVF. And now this was the mid nineties at the time. Mm. So I think a switch either went off in my head or because of my hormones, I never had that maternal switch go on. But weirdly, a few years ago, I thought that my PCOS was getting more severe. And I asked for an ultrasound again to confirm the diagnosis. And the, uh, the I saw on the screen, she was like, not only have you not got any cysts, like you're really, that looks great. You're very fertile and you're ovulating right now. And actually to know that I wouldn't have those issues, that actually took me, there was a 48 hours where I felt very, very strange because I thought, mm. right, had I got this factory setting of I don't want children because I just thought I don't want the fight yeah, because of what I was told when I was 17 or is this real? I don't know. That's really interesting. And I'm sure that you could delve into that with a therapist for a really long time. But yeah, and it's interesting because I guess you, you know, it's the same as infertility. You know this about yourself, right? I I am going to have children one day. That is a thing that you, you exist with, a, a fact. 
And then when you're told you can't, it's like, but I want to. Whereas I guess, you know, this the decision I'm not going to have children one day, to be then told that you could, you're like, oh. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's a truth that you know about yourself. And then yeah. I guess if that truth is challenged, it makes you feel strange. Yeah, it was a it was a very strange feeling, but I guess completely different from, well, there's nothing I can do about that. I sort of very quickly came to the point of, well, I have no control over that. There's nothing I can do mm-hmm. about that. I can't I can't buy back time and have babies in my twenties. So mm-hmm. what's the point in getting upset? Like what's done is done. But I guess it must be very different from the perspective that you guys come at it from, in that when you're told, yes, there's some problems we might need to go through IVF. I don't even know how they phrase it. You can tell I'm getting clunky now. Like, how does, how, like, does anyone ever say to you, yes, uh, Ms. Aslett, you are um, yeah, going to really struggle here. Is it dealt with? And is it, does know. it get quite clinical? I read once that when people are diagnosed with cancer, they, the doctors are trained not to use the C word until the patient comes to it themselves. And I feel like that might actually be the case with IVF because I remember I had um I had an operation to look at my fallopian tubes because it turned out they were completely blocked. And um I had this doctor come in who and she said, Oh yeah, I've sealed one of them because there's no point. The other one looks <laughs> I can't remember the language she used, but essentially pretty ropey as well. But I've left it open because you only get one round of IVF on the NHS in this area. And I was like, I was so I'm going to need IVF. <laughs> that's the situation. Oh, so and that's that how point, you found out. That was what. Yeah. That was the path. Wow. Yeah. So, and at that point, I was like, oh, so I need IVF. And then the second, they ended up having to seal off my second fallopian tube as well because it had a big, like, bit of like essentially stagnant water in it um, that was like leaking into my uterus. It's really gross. And um, this guy came. I remember just waking up from the. Um, by myself waking up from the anesthetic just you know so groggy and this guy just came over and he went oh yeah we did have to close it off and there's just walked off and I was like and I just remember in my head being like oh I'm I'm barren like I'm completely barren I I cannot conceive naturally and I, and just and then lying there and being like that guy's an asshole for saying that to me that could have been delivered uh, a bit nicer <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then as I woke up like he walked past again and I was like, excuse me come here and was like you don't tell a woman that she's completely invertile like that and he was like oh I'm really sorry and I was like you will be <laughs> um but yeah I mean I, I don't know whether you know that's their training is like you kind of have to let the patient come to the realization themselves what did you have gaps I can't remember well I suppose my husband's first sperm test results came back to our GP so this is not a clinic that's used to talking about infertility and the GP just rang my husband and said yeah I mean I've seen worse um and we were like what does that mean does that mean where we have to have IVF but it's not as bad or does that mean you know you, you just you kind of I think when you can have medical practitioners that aren't properly trained in this specific area. You can get some really insensitive ways of handling things that you're like, oh, and you, we didn't have any, they didn't say anything. They didn't give us any information other than that, what it meant, where we should go, how we should, you know, we all just had to kind of fumble around and find our way forward ourselves. So it is a weird one, but we've always been told um, 
in terms of diagnosis it is it is on my husband's side but we've always been told we could get pregnant naturally that's this little um you know thing dangling above us like treat it could happen the carrot to keep shagging um <laughs> it just it, it has never happened so who knows well, I suppose it's that other thing as well is that everything that anyone says to you uh, just there's a thousand questions that you might have yeah and that's what and I think that's why this space can be really confusing uh for people who are going through it because if you you can't keep going back and having follow-up appointments and saying, oh, you said that thing. So mm. where do you go? You go to a forum and you you seek. I mean, obviously there's a wonderful, there are wonderful things to be gained from being part of a community. But at, at what point is it helpful and is it unhelpful, do you think, to, to immerse yourself in nothing but conversations about this with people who perhaps aren't qualified or don't have the medical experience? Mm. It's definitely a fine line between it. Mm. I think but forums and um, for us, it was Instagram are amazing for the emotional support. Um, I wouldn't try and get medical advice from there. That said, we try on the podcast, we really try and avoid medical advice, but every now and then something slips out, um, which is not great. But yeah, I mean, yeah, they're great for emotional support. I think you just you need to realise none of these people have been to medical school. Mm. I think yeah, it's things important. To- you kind of pick up things to speak to your doctor about really I think that's mm. the way to treat it like you know obviously of you if you're on Instagram and in, in the TTC world of Instagram which is huge just for those who aren't in it it's it's insane um by the way TTC for those of you who don't know because I didn't when I picked up the book is trying to conceive yes, but these ladies conceive. I believe it's on uh, page 196 because it is <laughs> my most thumbed page of uh, 296 <laughs> is um a glossary of mm, all yeah. of the abbreviations all of the yeah. any shorthand it's mm. even if you're not trying to conceive it is vital if you want to have a conversation <laughs> with someone who is yes. it's like mum's In- net but non-mum's net <laughs> it's like all the weird little acronyms yeah it's not quite as annoying as mum's net I find though but um <laughs> but yeah there's a big um trying to conceive community on Instagram which if you are not involved you can you know we if people want to get involved with it, we always say you don't have to have a public profile. Mm. You can set up like lots of people set up anonymous profiles and kind of start interacting with others that are going through different stages. But and there are a lot of people on there who will have been in your position, have been through what you're going through and they can offer advice. They'll tell you what they've done. But I suppose the thing is just to take everything with a pinch of salt and go back and speak to your own doctor. So if someone recommends a certain drug, make a note of it. OK, yeah. I'll speak to my doctor about it. Don't kind of pin all your hopes on it being your solution Mm. that's the thing isn't it now in the book you have shared your own journey and you allude to the fact that this really is a journey for everybody um no matter how quickly it might happen or how long it might take uh, it really is a journey mainly an emotional one yeah I mean we kind of we mock the word journey a little bit on the podcast we call it our journey because um there's no better word for it annoyingly but mm. but um it's, it's just it's, we hate the word but um what was the question <laughs> it's about well but basically where well, the book starts with tell us about your journey because it isn't it's not something you can kind of wrap up in a in a sexy little media soundbite nugget is it no every story is a journey and has its own twists and turns 
I mean, by the time that you're, you know, going to your doctor, if you've been trying for a year already, you've already been on a journey, like you've already, <laughs> it's been a process. Um, and it's by that, at that point, it's mainly emotional. It's like mainly in your head, but I think, you know, any, any kind of trying to conceive journey is hard. By the time you're using the J word, you're having a hard time. You've got muscle scars, for sure. <laughs> exactly. and, um, and yeah, the reason we open with that is is because of that kind of cathartic thing of like, you know, come on then. It's like, you know, lots of things that people go through trauma, talking about it um, can really help. So mm. that's, yeah. But we do hate the word journey and we have thought about alternatives. And yes, as Emma said, there are none. <laughs> there there are money. none. And then no. the, the one, some, one will appear and it will be even worse than journey. You know yeah. that. Yeah. Adventure? No, it's no. not an adventure. Because it'll be it'll be something it, it there will be one and we'll be like, oh god, remember the good old journey days. Because yeah. it will <laughs> Let's go back to journey. <laughs> it'll be a little uh, bit of something or other. Um yeah. so if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, right, a lot of this really resonates with me. I've been trying for over a year and nothing's happening. Uh three state just like three simple things that you could tell them to do that would just give them that sense that they're taking control but not becoming obsessed I would say I I don't think I've ever given this advice before but track your cycles um because when you do approach your doctor the more information you have for them the better Mm -hmm. um Gabby um find a way of getting it out don't have to start a podcast you don't have to broadcast it but either writing it down in a diary or yeah finding a friend because you know even if you don't you're not aware of a friend going through it you probably do have someone in your circle that is also experiencing it and just get it out get it out mm-hmm. because you lock it inside and you're sitting at home with your partner perhaps just thinking god we're the only ones going through this it's horrible the minute you mm-hmm. realize it's like a valve's turned and the pressure's released you're like Oh, okay. Get some of it out. That's definitely a big one. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say also, don't let yourself get fobbed off, right? So don't let yourself get fobbed off by friends telling you to relax. Don't let yourself get fobbed off by a doctor who goes, oh, you'll be fine. Like there's a lot of opportunities to get fobbed off in this situation. Mm-hmm. And if you think there's something wrong, listen to yourself, listen to that body, listen to you know what's going on in your head and you know what's the worst you can do you go for a scan they say everything's fine like you know really push for those tests push for stuff because yeah. it's it's so easy to be fobbed off here you know what I think is so wonderful about what you guys are doing as well so I have friends who have gone through this journey and then boof one day they announce that they are pregnant they've gone on to have uh, one or more kids mm-hmm. but before that they were so invested in the world of infertility that they were creating podcasts or they were had social media feeds dedicated to my IVF journey or my journey to conceive and then they fall pregnant and boof it evaporates and what that's meant for me is that I have had friends who have then said they felt really abandoned and actually it's made them feel really crappy because it's like well you, you're now free of it and I'm still chained to this awful experience that's causing me the most distress of anything in my life and yet you have both had your kids and you haven't abandoned anybody you're still out there thank you thank you <laughs> keeping people buoyant at a really difficult time uh, it's just such a shitty thing to go through <laughs> Yeah, I think we know we know how awful it is, and we just have a drive to continue trying to offer something, 
you know I think um it has been it has been interesting because obviously we we've gone from talking very much about ourselves to not talking about ourselves because we have mm. children that's our lives now and people don't want to hear about that and we know that they don't we understand that so we try to keep we have kept the podcast a baby free space mm. um and it but yeah it's just a we know we know too much and we yeah. still we're still curious as well we still want to hear more stories so I guess we it, we just have kept going <laughs> I don't yeah. know how long we'll keep going for but. yeah but also we're journalists like it's what we do we, mm. we we write about stuff and we um like to cover a story and you know infertility is a story that goes on and on it is one in six couples will struggle to conceive that's a lot mm. of people so that is a lot will... of people mm-hmm. but I think the reason why it has it's the thing that really stood out for me when I met you guys is because I've talked about things on this podcast from my own personal perspective. So I've talked about uh, men's, my, my mental health. I've talked about um, the struggles that I've had with my weight and eating issues over the years. And I will, I'm a journalist too. I try to put out really considered and helpful content on those subjects and gather in the best guests that I can bring people in order to help them but there comes a point where I have where I have to be quite boundaried and I struggle mm. with sending the elevator back down because part of me wants to get in that elevator and and uh, get as many people on as possible. But then I worry that I will relapse or w- will lose yeah. pace on my own journey. Have you had that sort of feeling about what you're doing? Well, the great thing about infidelity is that once you kind of have had, in quotes, success, um, you can't really relapse. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You've you've already you've you've achieved a goal, and that that makes it different to a, a lot of other chronic illnesses. And infertility is regarded as a chronic illness, um, which you know makes us very lucky. So I guess it's about for us amplifying voices and you know all the other kind of cliched terms, but mm-hmm. making people feel supported. But also we do understand that like people that have been through it who don't want to talk about it anymore because yeah. it's been all, all consuming for such a long time and all mm. you've been able to talk about with your partner and all you know all that's on your mind you get to the other side and you kind of think oh, I can't talk about that anymore I'm done mm. I'm done I don't want to and that's completely okay as well I think that's yeah it's kind of understandable I guess we're just um gluttons for punishment masochistic <laughs> um before I let you go I'm going to ask you um you create the podcast which is excellent you've written the book I want to focus in on the book because I think writing about these things uh might be talking about some personal experience here going over those old feelings and emotions can stir a lot up so I wonder if in writing the book what was churned up for you maybe let's start with you Gabby was there anything in particular that was churned up for you or that you were able to revisit in a way that actually helped you I don't know even put it to bed perhaps more securely than it had been before Mm, I think um I think one of the things that was quite hard for me writing it was um talking about friendships and difficult points in friendships that have because that it you know friends say the wrong things friends don't know what to do it does impact you and and kind of turning those stories into something that's okay to put in the book was was quite tricky and also you know I guess helped me to kind of deal with some of those feelings of like okay that was bad they they did not treat me in the way they should have you know and can I move past that I think that was kind of that was probably one of the primary ones for me I mean all of it's emotional I think the other one was um we did a chapter about partners because it 
it's quite tricky being a partner going through this as well, especially when you hit IVF because they're kind of ignored. And I interviewed my husband and and Emma's husband, and it was quite weird hearing them say things that they had never said to us before about how their feelings were when they were going through it. I found that quite difficult. I heard things that, yeah, you know, my husband thought it was going to be the end of us, you know, all of these kind of things that he'd never said. I was like, wow, okay, this is big. It, it becomes... Definitely- this does become the uh, the the female, the woman's problem in that in a heteronormative dynamic, doesn't it? If you're going through mm-hmm. IVF, it becomes the woman's problem. It's that she's going through IVF and yeah. they're sort of around. Is, is that how it is, yeah. I guess? Yeah. They're not really engaged with um other than here's your pot, go and go and do your special sauce. Um and it's it's on it shouldn't be that way, you know. I think there's lots of people who are kind of campaigning for that to not be the case. Um, but it is. And and people assume it's the on the woman's side as well. You know, mm-hmm. people assume that you're going through IVF because you've got a problem. And um, 50% of um, infertility is male infertility. So, like, that's maddening. Yeah. And what about you, Emma? Was there anything that uh, you were able to re see through fresh eyes because that's what it sounds like with you going with the friendships is that maybe at the time it was all quite heightened and with a bit of space and revisiting it uh there was a bit more clarity and the sort of the sting was maybe taken out of some of the things that hadn't felt so pleasant for me it was um I went over back over a lot of old diaries because it's it's funny you know um how you kind of I don't want to say forget but definitely that the emotion is you know it's like, like sanded down later on right um the edges are taken off so you can kind of remember how sad you were but like reading my diaries I just remember the anguish um but one of the things actually that really I found so hard to write was um I did a chapter on miscarriage and I've never had a miscarriage like a touch wood um I've never lost a pregnancy and but when in when I was pregnant with my daughter, I was told that I was going to lose her and um, that it was a non-viable pregnancy. And I just I, I remember I, I walked around because I was living in Notting Hill at the time. I, I walked around Hyde Park a lot just thinking about it um, and thinking about, you know, this little thing that was in my in my uterus that I was going to lose. And um, it was uh, just the intensity of emotion and the pain of of um of pregnancy loss you know it was I've been trying by the time I got pregnant I've been trying for three and a half four years like around that um was finally pregnant for the first time ever sorry that's my cat complaining um and and then I wrote this chapter on pregnancy loss and I I remember um when I conceived I conceived at the same time as someone I knew on Instagram and she um, it was like literally within a couple of days of each other, we had, we both did a round of IVF and we both started bleeding around the same time and had this kind of horrible stuff happen and she lost her baby and I didn't. And, um, and I interviewed her for the book and she talked about it and I just, God, the pain and the anguish and the sadness. And I spoke to, you know, a couple of people for it and it just, it was just so intense. I found it incredibly hard to write and just incredibly sad and yeah I did a lot of crying during that chapter um but I but I think it's a you know I I hope that it's a good chapter to read because you know one of the things that I wanted to include because I I'd 
you know, this person that I was in touch with had, had lost her baby at the same time as um, we were both pregnant at the same time. I wanted to talk about the physical effects of miscarriage because um, most people when they're, you know, when they're told they're losing their baby, they're, they're told it's going to be like a heavy period. Um, it's not like heavy period. It's like you're losing a baby. Um, and so I think that's something that really isn't, or is very rarely written about is that, you know, what happens to your body when you lose a baby? Um, and the answer is it's not very nice. I've deliberately skirted some of these topics on uh, in our conversation here simply because I know that you have addressed them so brilliantly, not only in the book, but also <laughs> on the podcast. And I, I, don't, I don't think uh, an excavation of, of really uh, intense subjects like that is maybe oh, yeah. appropriate. But this is just to say, listeners, that obviously if you are going through that or if anyone that you know goes through that Emma and Gabby have have got the best um the best content because I think sometimes putting in your your headphones and just being able to be to hear from people like you who aren't afraid to pull punches when it comes to vocabulary who aren't afraid to pull punches when it comes to actually describing what goes on that can sometimes be the most comforting thing because I'm not I'm not that I'm going to sugarcoat it but I'm not going to do it justice because I don't know whereas you guys do, which is why, yeah, Big Fat Negative, go and read it, go and listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh, thank Thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you would like to leave listeners with before I let you go to, um, and perhaps do a podcast with both of your cats who seem to have <laughs> really <laughs> wanted to join in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the BFN cats are famous. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think we've already said it, but just find someone to talk to just talk 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 to anyone yeah 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 that's Definitely. the key that's okay um, thank you so much for your time um honestly listeners I have I've, I try to stay abreast of what's going on because I have friends who are going through I have lots of friends who are going through this at different stages and I always want to be the person who's saying the right thing and I don't always get it right but since I discovered you guys uh, I genuinely think this is the best. You guys are the best resource out there for anyone, wherever you are in the journey, even if you're not participating, if you're like me, if you're wanting to be helpful, I think your uh, your book and your podcast are freaking amazing and vital, actually. So, so there you go. I will put the links to oh. both of you and the show and the book in the uh, show notes. But um, it's been a pleasure to chat to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks for being so, so nice. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> a pleasure, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Why not become a patron of the Emma Gunn Show today? For just £3 a month, you can enjoy episodes of the podcast ad-free and in video. That's just £3 less than a cup of coffee for a whole month of the show. Your support means I can keep creating the podcast and also invest in production and creation of bonus content for you to enjoy. To become a patron, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash The Emma Gunn Show now. <laughs>